Open up your Bibles to Psalm 118. If you have one of our Bibles uh, from the welcome table, it's on page 537. We're going to continue our series today. This is week two of the series called Psalms of Joy. And we're looking at six songs from the Old Testament's hymn book, the book of Psalms, right? And the goal of this series is to help us take joy in the Lord as we see how each of these psalms reveals God's heart for his people, for us in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Remember that all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, right? He even said so himself in Luke 24, including the psalms. These are, these are psalms that ultimately lead us to him with the end result that we, 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 uh, we relish in the blessings of God, like Ephesians says, uh, that every spiritual blessing has been given to us to the, to the praise of his glorious grace so that we end with thanksgiving and, and, and joy uh, and, and praise to God for the freedom and victory that we now have as forgiven and redeemed sinners who've been made saints in the Lord. Now, the author of Psalm 118 is unknown. Last week, we looked at Psalm 103 and, and saw that that was David that wrote that one. But this psalm itself is widely known to the Jewish community in Jesus' day, right? Today's Palm Sunday. I already said that. I almost said Psalm Sunday. I guess that's accurate too. Um, but this is the beginning of, of, of what we call Passion Week, right? This is, this is where uh, today, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus rode into town, the triumphal entry. He rode into Jerusalem uh, as the long-awaited Messiah, and then, and then this, this week crescendos into the crucifixion on Friday, where it feels like all hope is lost, and then the, the glorious resurrection and power on Sunday, where Jesus is revealed as the eternal king of glory. Now, psalm 118 is the last psalm in a group of psalms that begins with Psalm 113. Together, these group, this group is known as the Egyptian Hallel, Okay. Now, that sounds kind of familiar. If you think about it, it's a Hebrew word that means praise. We're familiar with the word hallelujah, right? Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. They're, they're called the Egyptian hallel because they're sung uh, 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 during the Passover festival, which is a, a commemoration that celebrates when God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so it's praise to God for the Egyptian rescue. This is what these this groups of, of, of psalms uh, point the people to. And, uh, and, and I thought then that it would be fitting for us to look at this psalm this morning since people sang part of it during Jesus' triumphal entry and that it was, the most, uh, and it was most likely the psalm that Jesus sang with his disciples, the last thing they sang after they took the first Lord's Supper together and were... Uh, headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be betrayed and arrested and then led off to his crucifixion. And then since uh, the Psalms point to Jesus, right, both of these settings, the, the, the triumphal entry and the, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's first Lord's Supper, during Passion Week, they're going to help us ultimately see how the words of this Psalm are fulfilled in what Christ came to do. We have the joy as believers in Jesus to look back uh, with greater clarity than what the, even the author that wrote the psalm had, right? Because God has revealed fully to us uh, his plan in Christ. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. All psalms of thanksgiving have a similar structure. There's an introduction of praise addressed to God. There's a, a report of misery and, and trouble experienced by the psalmist. There's an appeal to others to join in the, 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 
the, the praise to God alongside the psalmist. There's an announcement of rescue that God has brought about, and then finally a testimony or a, a vow of praise to God once again. And so as I read this this morning, see if you can pick up on these things, and then we'll pray and jump in to the message. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his faithful love endures forever. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It's wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Lord, we love you. We thank you that, that even just the, the proclamation right there of your word alone is enough for your spirit to do his work in our hearts. We pray this morning as we go through this passage that we would see so clearly all that we've been given in Christ. We stir our hearts toward gratitude, thanksgiving, and that we, as dearly beloved children, would proclaim all that Jesus has done. In your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, it's fo football season. That's weird to say. Um, did, did Phil Cross win last night? Uh, or yesterday? I didn't get a chance to score. 2-0, and o, right? Um, I got to be honest, I don't know the fight song of the school yet, uh, but... Uh, I tried to get it from somebody, and they wouldn't tell me, so I blame, I blame the hometown people. Um, here's the thing, though. Every, every, every school, right, has a fight song. Every school that plays sports, they have a fight song. Um, 
usually sung at the beginning of the game, maybe at the at halftime, depends on, on where it's at. But it, it's it's sort of more of a tradition than anything else, right? It's a, it's a superficial thing. It's not like, hey, we're losing, we're going to sing the fight song, and, and that's going to be like the boost that we need, and everybody's going to go, and we're going we're gonna to win, right? It doesn't really do much to help the win, win the game. Now, as Christians, we have the greatest fight song of them all, right? And, and, and around this time of the year especially, we proclaim this together, right? We say, Christ is risen, right? Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. This isn't superficial. This is real, this is true. This is uh, something that, that, that we can proclaim with boldness and confidence. But sometimes we say it superficially because we feel like the other team is winning and it's just a giant blowout, right? See, even though we claim rightfully that we have victory in Christ, we oftentimes live functionally in defeat. We get overwhelmed. We, we're weak in the flesh and, and, and we forget easily. But because God is good and his faithful love endures forever, he hears and he helps all who call on him in distress. And because God is our strength and our salvation, this morning we need to see that he should also be our song. We should sing this victory song together because the foundation of our victory is the forever enduring faithful love that God has for his people. And that's us if you're in Christ. That should lead us then to give thanks even in the most defeating circumstances of life. I think we know this. I think we maybe feel guilty when we don't do this. But this morning, my prayer is that as we see the word and are reminded of the truth, that our hearts are stirred Excuse me, to thanksgiving. So let's read verse 1, 1 through 4 this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his faithful love endures forever. Do you, you, you know what the main point of that, those verses are? His faithful love endures forever. This is the introduction to praise, right? If you think about the, the, stru- the structure of, of a psalm of thanksgiving, the psalmist is, is first declaring the praise, and then he's directing all of God's people to give thanks to the Lord. It has this feel of, of call and response, right? First to the nation as a whole, then to the house of Aaron, which would be uh, the priests and the Levites, the leaders of, the, of the, the assembly, and then to the worshipers that were gathered together. And again, the reason for, for giving thanks, it's anchored to two things here, Right? God's goodness and his faithful love that endures forever. Last week when we looked at Psalm 103, we saw God's very nature and character reflected in that psalm. King David said, from eternity to eternity, the Lord's, what, faithful love endures forever. It's a refrain all throughout the psalms. David also reminds worshipers that, to think uh, uh, about God in God's own terms, right, based on how God described himself to Moses back in Exodus 34. We read this last week. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with Moses there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, 
a, a, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. God did this, proclaimed his name, showed who he was to Moses in a, in a response to a request that Moses made. Moses told God, please show me your glory, right? And before God responded with these words in Exodus 34, he said this to Moses a chapter earlier in Exodus 33. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You see how God's goodness and his faithful love are bound together? And Psalm 118 begins by reminding God's people of this goodness and that God has been gracious to them. He's been compassionate on them. And because of his goodness, his faithful love for them endures forever. God remains true to the covenant that he made with his people to be their God even when Israel breaks that covenant in disobedience over and over and over. And that's cause for all of God's people to give thanks because they see how faithful his love is. You see, it's necessary for us to remember that God only ever is good and he only ever does good. And that his goodness includes both his justice and his mercy. He won't let sin go unpunished and we need that. Otherwise, he's not a just God. But he's a merciful God. And so he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. See, we, re we need to remember this so that when trouble comes, even at the hand of the Lord, which we'll see again in this psalm, that we trust that his love for us remains intact and we don't run from him or hide from him, but we cry out to him in our distress. Look at verse five. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord... I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 5 essentially summarizes the message of the entire psalm. I called on the Lord in distress. And he answered me. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. That word distress gives this picture of, of confinement or restriction, right? It, it's a claustrophobic word. And
And that picture, is, it's developed further in verses 10 through 13 when the psalmist speaks as Israel's king being surrounded in battle by all the nations. It says they swarmed him like, like bees and they pressed in hard against him like, like sharp thorns to make him fall, to shake his foundation. It's a scene of hopelessness with, with no way out and death staring him in the face. Confined and surrounded on all sides, the psalmist called out to the Lord in distress, and what happened? The Lord answered him, and he put him in a spacious place. Literally, the Hebrew says, the Lord answered me with freedom. A spacious place is a picture of of complete safety and refuge where enemies aren't closing in, but instead they've been fended off and they've been pushed back. He says, in the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. Three times he says it. When you see something repeated three times in in God's word, it, it emphasizes the reality of that and how perfectly true it is. See, the, dis- the, the defeat was so swift and sure, it consumed his enemies like a fire ravaging through a, a brush pile of thorns, he says. And as the psalmist reflects on God's power to rescue him from his enemies, he, he contrasts the Lord's strength with man's strength and concludes that the Lord is, is the better refuge. People make poor refuges, don't they? See, even the best ones will let you down. The psalmist mentions nobles in verse 9. These are the princes who were generous and and gave to others freely, but their help is short-lived. It's temporary. Psalm 146 attests to this. It says, do not trust in nobles, in in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in him, he remains faithful forever. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. Not only is the Lord the better helper, the Lord is the victor. Not only, uh, he, he not only provides more protection than any human being who uh, can who is for you, but he also gives more protection against anyone who tries to harm you. Even though the psalmist was surrounded and distressed, even though he felt hopeless and with no way out, he remembered God's goodness and enduring faithful love. And he came to this conclusion in verse 6. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortal do to me? Throughout Israel's history, whenever God sent them into battle against their enemies, against surrounding nations, he would always tell them what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but be strong and courageous. Why? Because he would go to battle with them and for them. And he would give them the victory. And he promised never to leave them nor forsake them. In Luke 12, Jesus reminds his disciples that even the worst thing that a human being can do to another human being, that's not enough. It's not enough to overcome God's enduring faithful love for those who trust him. Luke 12, 4 through 7, Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. 
Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. That's God's good, holy, righteous justice, right? Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That is God's good and faithful, enduring love. See, when the Lord is your refuge, you can look in triumph on all those people and all those things in this life that work against you. Worst case scenario is that they take your earthly life, but they cannot take your eternal life because the Lord is good and his faithful love for you endures forever. What are the things that have given you cause for distress? What's made you feel confined and restricted and surrounded on all sides? Maybe you wake up every morning with a debilitating pain or chronic illness. Maybe it's crippling anxiety from past or current trauma. Maybe you fear what's to come for you as as a believer in an increasingly hostile society. Maybe it's deep wounds from a broken relationship or gripping guilt from a poor decision or a series of decisions. Whatever it is, hear this promise. You can call out to the Lord in the midst of your distress and find a sure and steady refuge in him. Just listen. Listen again to the language in these verses here. The Lord answered me. The Lord is for me. The Lord is my helper. The Lord helped me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord. Why wouldn't you call out to this God in distress? If you're a Christian, this psalmist's words are your words. His triumph is your triumph, not because of your strength, but because of the Lord's strength. Think about this. The same faithful love that the Lord showed to this psalmist thousands of years ago, this is predating even Christ himself and his incarnation. Not the eternal nature of God, but when he took on flesh. That same faithful love that the Lord showed to the psalmist is the same faithful love that he shows to you and me today. It has not changed and it will not change. So there's no need to seek refuge in anyone or anything other than the Lord himself. It's better to take refuge in the Lord. I love verse 14. It says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. The psalmist is quoting the song that the Israelites sang after they walked through the Red Sea. So now we're going even back past the psalmist, back to the Exodus. The Israelites walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Then they watched God bring the waters crashing back down to consume Pharaoh's army. They were surrounded by the enemy on all sides, right? Pressed up against the the sea itself, distressed and concerned with no way out. But the Lord made a way. They saw the Lord do what they could, could not do, and they responded to him with praise and thanksgiving. They sang this song, and now everyone whom the Lord has rescued sings this song. See, for those of us who've been rescued by the Lord from our sin, we join in this chorus. 
with the rest of God's people. The Lord is our strength. He's our refuge. He's our source of help. The Lord is our song. He's our source of joy and the object of our worship. The Lord is our salvation. He's the one who has rescued us from death in our sins and trespasses, and he's made us eternally alive in Christ. In him, we have total, total victory. Look at verse 15. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. Three times again, remember. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. This section of the psalm, is it's the sound of an Israelite camp after the Lord has given them victory over their enemy in battle. Notice all the credit. All the credit for victory is given to God, even though these people physically fought in that battle themselves. The right hand was the hand that was used to wield the sword in battle. It inflicted damage. It was the, it was the, 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 the symbol of strength and might. And they're exalting God for his power. Definitively, three times, the Lord's right hand, the Lord's right hand, the Lord's right hand. He's the one that's exalted for delivering them from the enemy and giving them the victory. And that's the point, right? Verse 17, the psalmist says, I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. You know why the Lord rescues us and then leaves us here? So we can proclaim what he's done. Because guess what? More people need rescued. Verse 18, the psalmist recognizes the distress that he described in the, in the previous verses as severe discipline from God. Now we need to understand that sometimes the trouble that we're surrounded by, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that trouble that we've, is trouble that we've brought upon ourselves because we've sought refuge in other things than the Lord. It's uncomfortable to think about how severe the Lord's discipline is on his children. We don't want to put that, those words together, do we? The Lord disciplined me severely? It sounds like abuse. That's why we need to remember that God only ever is good and he only ever does good. If we forget that, then we'll see it as abuse. But the psalmist didn't see it as abuse, and neither should we. Why? Because it's for our good. The Lord disciplined the psalmist severely, but he didn't give the psalmist over to death. God's discipline is meant to deliver us from death, not to lead us to death. His discipline is an exercise of his rescuing, enduring, faithful love, not of his condemning wrath, even though his wrath is a righteous display of his goodness. As Psalm 103 reminded us last week, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. We need to understand this. God's, God, God's discipline leads to our deliverance. 
And our deliverance then gives us cause to proclaim what the Lord has done. And there's no greater deliverance to be found than the, de- the deliverance that we find in Christ himself. And that leads us to the final section of our psalm. Verse 19. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and I have become and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. We have a change of scenery here. We go from the battleground to the temple ground. As the psalmist reflects on the victory that the Lord's given him, he vows then to give God thanks in response, and he joins the assembly of God's people at the temple to offer a sacrifice of praise. And they make their way through the temple gates in in a triumphant procession, praising God for answering their cry for help and delivering them from the enemy. You know, throughout Israel's history, as Jewish pilgrims would make their way to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, they would sing this psalm as they approached the, the temple to offer sacrifices and worship to the Lord. And each year they would sing it in remembrance of what God had done to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt in the time of Moses, but then they would sing it also looking forward in hope to the day when God would send his Messiah to rescue them and deliver them from oppression and foreign rule once and for all. Verse 25, that Lord save us. We know that as Hosanna. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, people went ahead of him and they followed behind him shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They were quoting this psalm. Not everybody knew who Jesus was, but there were some who who were singing these words, directly applying them to Jesus because they believed he was the Messiah who had come to free them from Roman rule and establish Israel's unending earthly kingdom. Short time later, Jesus had an encounter with the chief priests and the religious leaders. The, The chief priests and the religious leaders who had been questioning his authority and who had been looking for a way to kill him. And after telling them a parable that exposed them to be wicked and disobedient servants of God, Jesus said this to him: The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done. And it's wonderful in our eyes. He's quoting this psalm. Now here in the psalm, in its original context, the nation of Israel was the was the one rejected by the surrounding nations. When Jesus quotes it, he shows himself to be the one rejected by Israel. 
And it's the rejection of Christ by the chief priests and the religious leaders and by one of his own disciples that led to his betrayal and his arrest and his crucifixion. And after Jesus ate the Passover meal in the upper room with his disciples, they sang a hymn together and they went out to the Mount of Olives. This was the hymn, most likely, that they sang. Jesus knew He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was about to be betrayed by one of his own and handed over to the religious leaders to be crucified. Now just picture with me for a minute. Imagine hearing our Lord sing these words as he prepared himself for what was about to take place. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. And I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You see, the sacrifice wasn't bound to the temple uh, altar, it was nailed to the cross. The Messiah was enthroned on a Roman execution device while wearing a crown of thorns. And what looked like earthly defeat turns out to be superficial because it was actually eternal victory. What was a display of the depth of, of wickedness and evil in the human heart to murder an innocent man was also a display of the depth of God's goodness as he willingly gave his own life in the place of sinners. As Israel shouted, crucify, the Lord's silence showed that his Faithful love endures forever. As the house of Aaron mocked Christ while he hung on the cross and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself, our Lord stayed on the cross to show that his faithful love endures forever. As those who feared the Lord looked with despair upon their dying Messiah, he cried out, it is finished. And breathed his last to show that his faithful love endures forever. And when the women were on their way to the tomb, wondering how and and who would roll away the stone so they could anoint Jesus' lifeless body with burial spices, they got there, what did they see? The stone had already been rolled away, and the tomb was empty, because our Lord had risen in power, and his faithful love endures forever. You see, this is the God in whom we take refuge. The, 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 the risen and, and the eternal King, Jesus Christ, who not only rules the nations, but who vanquished the power of sin and death and rescued us from slavery. If you're constrained and confined by your sin, if you're surrounded on all sides by spiritual death, if you're overwhelmed by the guilt of your rebellion against God, if you know yourself to be a condemned sinner in need of a Savior, then why not call on this Lord? Call on the Lord in your distress and see that Christ is the answer. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in nobles. Don't look for mere morality or generosity or good deeds to cleanse your conscience. It just won't do it. Take refuge in the Lord. Put your trust in Christ. Believe that he has done all the necessary work to rescue you.
to rescue you from you and from the sin that has ruled over you until now. It's time to no longer rebel against the Lord. It's time to rebel against sin and death. And put your hope and your dependence in Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, listen, we really do have the victory. Triumph really is ours. We, we may feel bogged down in burden. That, that, again, the Bible never tells us. We, we just saw it in the psalm. It doesn't tell us to pretend like everything is hunky-dory. We do get bogged down. We do get burdened. We get overwhelmed. We feel outmatched. We, we suffer crushing blows from every angle. We experience maybe even sometimes the severe discipline of the Lord himself. But we need to remember that God only ever is good and he only ever does good. And so he will not abandon us. He will not leave us or forsake us. And so when you feel fear creeping in, think about the nails being driven into Jesus' hands and feet and remember the words of this psalm, the Lord is my helper. When anxiety brings you to a crippling halt, think about Jesus' lifeless body being laid in the tomb and remember these words, the Lord is for me. When you've got no more strength to fight, look to the empty tomb and hear this refrain, the Lord is is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. If you've been redeemed by Christ, you have been set securely into the eternal grip of God's goodness and faithful love. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it at the end of Romans 8. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. That's a definitive statement. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. The victory is so sure that we can actually be more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. The faithful, enduring love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, church, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let this church say his faithful love endures forever. Let the leaders say his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his faithful love endures forever. The Lord is our strength. He is our song. He's become our salvation. Hosanna, right? Christ has become our cornerstone. The Lord is God and he's given us light. The sacrifice has been made. Therefore, we will look with triumph on sin and death. We will not die. Yes, we may die physically. But we will not die spiritually. And as long as we live here, we will proclaim together what the Lord has done. He is our God and we will give him thanks. He is our God 
and we will exalt him. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that these words are not superficial. We thank you that this really is our song, that we have sure and steadfast hope in the God who has given us his son to rescue us fully and finally from slavery to sin and death. So when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel burdened, when we are confined by our distress and the temporary things of this world, Lord, would you help us not to pretend like everything's okay, but to cry out to you in distress and see that you have answered us in your son. We thank you for your goodness and for your faithful love that endures forever. Amen.